Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Revan on the Rocks. And today we have another guest. It happened. We made it past the first one and someone else wanted to come on, which was, I don't know, pretty big win for me. So really excited to have another awesome guest on the show. And today we're going to talk about something I feel like we've touched on a few times before is we get associated a lot with Atnavatic, but just PLG in general. I feel like every single sales team hears the, you know, we're thinking about going PLG and probably shivers. So I think we'll have a really interesting sort of dynamic between the sales perspective of why is it so scary? And then a PLG growth expert who can say, no, like this, this is works and this is how you can do it correctly. I promise it's not just to torture sales. And so today our PLG expert is Andrew Kaplan. If you don't know him, he's two times head of growth and has spent basically like most of his career being an awesome B2B SaaS leader in growth at HubSpot, Wistia, and Postscript. And Andrew, I think we've known each other for almost two years now, like basically since I joined Avatic. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to hang in the gym. Uh, I'm not an expert. I'm still learning as I go too, but like happy to share a whole bunch of that stuff today. And this is why I was excited to have you on, Andrew, because no matter how much experience you have, I feel like every time you talk, you're like, look, this is just my perspective. This is my thoughts. It's not. There are just so many people out here. It's like, this is the right way to do it. And if you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. So appreciate the perspective and also kind of the, the open mind to this conversation. What I've learned is that when you start your career, you're like in learning mode, right? You're like, oh, I don't know anything. I just got to soak it up. I'm just little old me. And then you get to this midpoint in your career where all of a sudden you think you're the expert because like you've seen it, you've been to the conferences, you've like read all the blog posts, maybe you've taken a couple courses and now all of a sudden you're the expert. And then I think as you get a little beyond that level, you learn that everything is contextual and that there really are no best practices and everything is about figuring out the right playbook for your situation. And so I'm past that middle point. I'm at the point where I'm like, hey, I don't have to know. I don't know that much, you know? And so to start with our typical question, I'm actually going to start with you first, Andrew. What you drinking today? So I live in Medford, Mass. It's just outside of Boston. And Medford is sort of like an old Italian area where a lot of yuppies have moved in. But it's right on the edge of like hipster cool. So we got a lot of cool breweries around. So this is one that's in my neighborhood. It's the Winter Hill Brewery. It's uh, Tommy Point, uh, which is like an ode to the Celtics. Uh, Tommy Heinsohn is like the longtime Celtics announcer. And when you did a, like a hustle play, he would say, oh, that's a Tommy Point. Uh, and so this is a beer. It's an IPA from there. That's awesome. My goal of this podcast is to eventually get it's sponsored or like get an episode sponsored by some sort of alcohol company. It's nothing to do with actual, you know, Nevada goals, just selfishly. So maybe we'll give a shout out to your hometown brewery and maybe they'll hear it. Winter Hill, man. It's a good spot right up the road. Nice. And Ben, what are you drinking today? Yeah. Let me just first and foremost, kill that p potential sponsorship opportunity. I'm uh, from Madison, Wisconsin, Andrew, and I'm a diehard Bucks fan and I hate the Celtics with all my might. Uh, the last couple of years, we've run into you, obviously, in the playoffs a few times, and you've had had your way with us. So um, definitely cheering for the the 76ers in the series right now. But um, sports aside, I am uh, actually drinking an old fashioned. So kind of stepping it up, Natalie, for you and I. Typically, I'm drinking some sort of light beer, but I actually made myself a, uh, a drink today. So that's what we have. Ben, I'm going to call you out this morning. You slacked me. I was like, I have big news. It's like, oh, like, well, I was like excited to see your slack. It's like, what is it? It's like. I actually got drink ingredients for Revenue on the Rocks today. And I was like, I say every week I'm going to do this and I'm drinking wine from my fridge again. It's not even mine. It's my roommate's. I don't like it again. I keep just taking my roommate's alcohol because I'm unprepared. So good for you. I'm glad you have a nice cocktail. And one day I 
promise I'm going to do the same. So is that to say that you're drinking wine again? This I'm drinking around? a rosé, yes. Well, cheers. Cheers, everyone. Yes, cheers, everyone. And before we dive into talking specifically about PLG, you know, why it is so terrifying, different perspectives on it, kind of how we're doing this conversation internally at Nevatic, Andrew, first just wanted to ask, like, what has your typical relationship with sales been? Maybe some positives and not so positives. Yeah, so I... I mean, I worked at HubSpot for a long time, which now has added on some PLG motions, but forever was really your classic, like generate leads, do inbound sales, do some outbound sales as well model. And like, I've seen that model scale really, really big business, right? I was at HubSpot in 2011 through about 2015, which um, I can share this because Darmesh tweeted about it or posted about it today on LinkedIn, but it was basically like their journey from 15 million to like 80 million was sort of the 100 million ish was sort of the time that I was there. Um, so I know that playbook. Well, that was the only playbook really that I knew until I eventually went to Wistia, which at the time was a business that was 100% self service. And I hadn't really heard of product led growth. I just knew that there was a certain category of businesses that had scaled to be really big with zero sales. Wistia was one of those. And I joined as an acquisition marketer and I just kind of fell in love with like e-commerce for SaaS. And so that's sort of my mix of experiences. Um, I've seen what inside sales only looks like. I've seen what self-service only looks like. And really what's become popular over the years is like this hybrid model where it's mostly self-service, but there also is a sales component. And that's kind of what we ended up with at Wistia where it's like at a certain point in time, folks would just write in and be like, Hey, could y'all just like give me a demo? Could could I ask someone a couple questions? Like we're a big business. We're not like your typical sign up. We want to like build our company around your infrastructure. I need to talk to someone about a custom contract. And so I think there was a period of time where I was maybe a little anti-sales. Um, and what I've learned is that that perspective is really anti-user. Uh, and so I, I'm basically like pro-user in whatever ways that kind of manifests. Usually it's a mix of like product-led and sales enablement. I loved you called that from the top and figured we'd get into this conversation that sometimes it feels like the real PLG diehards are kind of pitting PLG against sales led, or at least at the beginning when it was first coming out. And now it finally feels like we're getting to a point where we're like, why don't we just do what's best for that particular user segment, cohort account and have different models. It doesn't have to be all in one or the other. We can have multiple go-to-market strategies, kind of like inbound, outbound. It doesn't have to necessarily just be all one. So excited to kind of talk about how we can blend them two together. Totally. I think this is the future, right? It's letting people choose their own adventure and knowing that these experiences are additive and not you know, against each other. We've talked a few times about the choose your own adventure model. For the longest time, feels like SaaS was so restrictive of, no, you have to follow my exact sales path, like one CTA, exactly how I want to do it. So I think that will be a, a theme we'll hear a few times of really letting people choose their own and trusting prospects know how they want to buy. But we've talked a lot why there used to be all this tension between PLG sales. Then to kick us off, why are sales reps scared of PLG or maybe sometimes anti-PLG? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. Um, the, the two that I wrote down that I really wanted to cover and spend some time on is this is something I've talked about in previous podcasts, but generally speaking, sales reps are control freaks, right? We want to be in control of our deals. We want to have all the assets we need to close this deal. 
And so I think there's a level of losing some control when it is a PLG motion, which is to say that the first interaction with your company or that leads interaction with your team is going to be the product. So what happens if they get started with a PLG motion and five minutes into their free trial, they experience a bug or they can't find something in the product they were hoping to see or solve? You sort of lose that opportunity to handle an objection or show a feature that they were looking for that they can't find. So it sort of restricts our initial control over that deal. And we're just very reliant on them, presumably and hopefully having a good experience. And I think that makes the sales reps a little bit nervous and squirm. The second piece that I wanted to talk about, because this has really been a learning for me as I started working at Nevatic, is no offense to a lot of marketers out there. Man, there's some really bad trial experiences. There's a lot of really bad trials out there. There's a lot of really bad PLG motions. One of the most common things I hear when companies come to Nevada and are interested in, in supplementing their, their trial experience with an interactive demo is because, I hear this all the time, their trial is not converting well. So to me, it's very interesting. It's interesting that companies are really excited about going this PLG motion, motion, but then I talk to their marketers who are coming in and saying, yeah, it's not going well. It's not converting well. So sales reps aren't, you know, they, they understand that. They know that. Oftentimes, a better lead is someone who says, hey, I saw the free trial on your website. And Andrew, you were talking about this earlier. But I'd rather have a demo. I'd rather chat with somebody. I have questions about a custom contract or maybe I'm a little bit of a bigger team. So oftentimes, sales reps are more excited about someone who sees the PLG or free trial motion and says, but I'd still rather talk to sales. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all those things. I feel like the one that I hear the most is especially it's one thing if a company scales product led from day one right it's in their it's in their ethos it's part of their dna it's a lot easier to layer on sales later than it is to be 100 percent inside sales and then layer on product led and that's when you have those like shitty trial experiences or it doesn't convert well and it's it's because the it's a totally different company strategy and product strategy and it's hard to just shift that like it's a long-term investment to shift and the thing that i hear because I, I work as an advisor helping companies make this shift. And like the main one that I hear from the sales team is that they're nervous all the leads are gonna go away. Uh, and I think underneath that, especially the mid-level reps, like the more senior, you know, your team lead, they understand that this is a company strategy, it's gonna be a shift. They think more like a, you know, an investor than just an IC. But some of the ICs I think are really nervous that they're not gonna get their leads, that they're not gonna be able to reach out to leads, that they might get fired, that they're not gonna hit their quota. Like that pain is real. Like I, I'm, I'm sympathetic for that. Like I'm not poking at that. That's, that's real and that's tough. And that's why layering PLG in later, I think is really tough. One piece that Andrew mentioned that I think makes a ton of success is companies that maybe tried to deploy this later. So maybe it's a sales led organization initially, and then, you know, can certainly understand the ripple effects that sales reps may feel if the company is transitioning into more of a PLG motion, because it brings up all of those scary things that Andrew brought up already, which is what does that mean for me? What does that mean for our lead flow? Um, different things like that. I also think something to consider is when you're hiring sales reps, the sales motion of a PLG versus non is very, very different. And there's benefits in, 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 in cons, I would say to both, but from sales reps perspective, if it's a PLG, if most of your leads are someone who's started a free trial, Andrew started a free trial with Nevada, and now my goal is to nurture Andrew and give him a good experience and hopefully expand that deal. Guess what? I probably don't have to be a killer at delivering a demo 
But you know what I do have to be really good at is I need to know the product like the back of my freaking hand. And I need to understand exactly what Andrew's use case might be and how maybe he isn't thinking about or utilizing the tool. So it really changes sales folks from being like professional sellers to almost professional product people, which some sales reps get a lot of energy from and are really pumped to get their hands dirty and become product experts. And others are maybe like, listen, I'm really good at discovery and demoing, but like, I don't know shit about the product and now I have to, to have success in this. So uh, it is a different way of selling. I might also add, I talk to marketing teams that feel the same level of unease about this. Like I'm coaching someone right now who's the head of marketing at a company that just turned on their freemium offer. And this person has OKRs, has variable comp associated with the number of MQLs that they generate. Traditionally, it has only generated MQLs as a business. They've been hyper-focused on that. And they flipped on the freemium offer on their website and MQLs went down substantially. They published pricing for the first time. The number of MQLs went down. And so in the grand scheme of things, it should be a good thing for the business, right? They got way more number of freemium signups than they did MQLs, um, but they're not comped in that way. And so they're nervous about that. And their marketing playbook is different. And they need to think now more like a sales rep, frankly, where they need to think in terms of how do I learn about this person's needs and goals and wants and desires and the reason why they're here. And then how do I customize what they get to see to show them that stuff? And it's just a different playbook. So I've seen it go the other way too, where like marketers are also nervous just with different details. And one thing I'd add is my, so my house company, we were a PLG and as the marketer there, one thing that was really annoying was you also don't have as much, same, same as sales, you don't have as much control because ultimately product is control of that product experience. So I was being judged on obviously the number of leads we brought in and then if they converted. And like, I didn't really have any state that much say the converted spot, obviously, you know, I could bring in high quality leads and make sure that they were in our ICP and had a good experience. But when it came to actual onboarding experience, no matter what I did, if they couldn't figure it out, those were not going to be good activated users. So like you said from the beginning, I think no matter what department it is, a lot of the fear is just like you're relinquishing a little control by going PLG. I feel like it can lead sales reps to feeling like slightly devalued. Again, right, because like the role of the salesperson, and I'm not saying that that's true, but that might be a sentiment that you might feel associated with a PLG company because your role isn't, hey, this person is an inbound lead or, or go outbound to get leads. It's, hey, this person's been poking around in our product, go sell them. It's a very, very, very different motion. And I think a lot of the skills that sales teams or sales individuals will flex or tout that they have, again, might not be quite as applicable in a PLG motion. So like, for example, when I sold at Front, everything was uh, PLG. So 95% of our leads were somebody who started a free trial in Front. And then as a sales rep, our job was to nurture that seven-day free trial, try to get them on a call, try to demo, uh, help them as much as they possibly could. And now that we don't have a free trial at Novatic, it's very, very different. Now it's you know a huge emphasis on discovery. What are you interested in? It's a huge emphasis in demoing the software. So it is very, very different. And I don't know how to describe it other than the fact that if you are someone who's breaking into sales, I would say the majority of companies are going to continue to push towards PLG. So in any sales role that you take on moving forward, I would strongly emphasize become a product expert. And when I think back to my time at Square, because Square was... Uh, Jack Dorsey's whole goal and mission was to never need a sales team, which is kind of funny when you think about it. He wanted to make it so simple for small businesses to get started with Square. And when I think about the best reps that I ever worked with in my career, some of those were at Square, and they were always the people who knew the product the best. 
It was the AE who you would go up to the office and you would say, hey, I have a, a technical question or I just got off a call and somebody asked me about this and I didn't know the answer to. I wouldn't go to product, wouldn't go to my manager. I'd go to AEs on the floor who I knew were experts in the product and they were always the ones at the top of the leaderboard. And what's so funny about that is the first version of the sales team at Wistia was customer success. Like they, I wouldn't say that they defined the vision in that way, but the company had, probably can't say the number, but a lot of customers, like a large order of magnitude of customers and zero sales reps. And as I said, folks would write in saying like, hey, I just have like a couple questions. Can I like talk to someone or, hey, like I'm going to be doing crazy volume in your tool. Do you think you could hook me up with a discount? And so that was the first version of the sales team was like, well, it's not going to be sales. It's just going to be customer success. And a couple of those folks will just talk and have these kinds of conversations. And it, after like a couple of weeks, it was very obvious. I was like, oh, this should be a sales team. It should, we should hire someone who knows how to lead a sales team. And we should figure out who should go to these people versus who should go to everyone else. But it started from that place of these people are product experts. They should be the ones talking to prospects. So I was going to ask, we talked a lot about the fears of PLG and wanted to think of some solutions. But Andrew, to your point, like a lot of times a PLG motion is a little more CS oriented, support oriented, or there's layers of it. Is a solution just you have to re entirely rechain the sales team or is it you need a new sales team if you're going PLG? No, I don't think you need a new sales team, but I do think it's a little bit of a different playbook. In a different volume, I guess, is maybe the other part. Um, and I think that's where some of the fear that I've personally encountered in my career has come from. Like most product-led companies that I've seen that have a large scale of customers, probably somewhere around 80% of those customers will buy on their own. We're just talking total number of customers, right? 100 new customers a month, 80 will come in and just pull out their credit card, swipe it and buy, not need to talk to anyone. But those other 20 won't buy without talking to someone and they want to. And yes, it will be a different type of a sales process, more of an assisted type model. Um, and you can use your product data to figure out what have they done and what haven't they done and what should they do and what actions lead to conversion. Like, I think that that's definitely part of it. But big part of a product-led model, in my opinion, is identifying who are those 20 and how do we get them into this one-to-one -one experience from the beginning so that they get what's most gonna be valuable to them and that's gonna be the, the additional support. So I think the nuts and bolts of how to sell is probably a little bit different. Ben could probably share more of the details there, but there's a need and it's not, it's not like apples and oranges. It, it's like pretty close. I think the model that most folks are used to. Andrew, can I ask you a question about your experience with, with PLG at, at Nevada? I think a benefit to our deals cycles, which are fairly transactional, I would say today is the fact that the, the individuals or the personas that generally come inbound to Nevada are PMMs, CMOs, um, heads of demand or lead generation, somebody with authority and buying power. That's who we get to get in front of right away. In my mind, and I may be wrong, from a PLG perspective, it might be an AE. It might be an SDR. It might be a BDR. It might be somebody a little lower on the totem pole, which certainly has uh, its benefits, right? You can multi-thread. You can start from the bottom and you can get more champions and work your way up. This creates larger deals. This happened at front all of the time. But with that, in my mind, comes two things. Number one, longer deal cycles. And number two, high risk of churn, right? If I just get a couple of AEs onboarded in Nevada because I have a free trial versus I chat with their CMO for a demo and get them really excited about marketing initiatives, they might be more of a, a, a churn risk if it's just a couple of ICs that come inbound and self-serve. Right, so for the vast majority who have authority, to, especially for SMB, like if the product itself is a relatively low amount per month, less than a couple hundred bucks, I think that 
those folks have authority to buy, have the company card or can get access to it. But I think as you start to get into that 20%, the folks who are eligible for a high volume discount or have a really advanced complex use case, or maybe have a custom service agreement, SLA agreement that they need to move forward or custom security concerns, right? Those people, your average IC can't lead that buying process. You have to get to that more senior person and for sure. Um, it might be a more junior person that signs up, but as part of that user experience, you want to get that one user into multiplayer mode and ideally have it being a senior person as part of that for sure. Andrew, I know there's so much tech out now about, you know, identifying PQLs and for those who don't know product qualified leads because we need to, everything either needs to be like something go to market or something qualified lead right now. But anyways, um, a lot of tools out there for identifying product qualified leads, a lot of ways to sort of surface and try to multi-thread anything that you saw particular work particularly well at your past companies as far as moving from the ic to the decision maker it's hard um i mean the standard playbook i feel like is a little outdated now which is when someone signs up enrich based on the email address using one of those tools under the covers that the hit rate keeps getting lower and lower as time goes on uh and then you could send some account-based emails to their team that's sort of the that's sort of the existing playbook that I think has been really popular. And there, there's not really a, like a crazy aha advancement there that I'm aware of in terms of tech. But what I have seen is just more of a focus on the multiplayer mode. So getting one user with one specific use case, then to get other users in. And there's like different advanced ways of doing this. I feel like the example that that, um, that comes to mind for me is, is Miro. Where Miro is like a pretty complex tool with a million different use cases and they've optimized for you sharing your Miro board with someone else at your company. So that even if you come in and you're just little old Andrew checking out a tool to see if it can make my job easier, if it does, I'm gonna share that with someone else on my team and that distribution over time leads to more buying options. And so I see that as a huge part of the playbook too. I was just gonna say, I actually really, really liked that. I hadn't really thought or uh, thought about that or considered that, but that was actually a really strong lever at front, Andrew, which is the power and beauty of front is it is a collaborative inbox. Well, in order to collaborate, what do you need? You need more people. It's a shared inbox. You can collaborate with other members of your team. Um, so when you think about maybe moving to PLG, if you are a software company or a startup, think about, do we have that collaboration lever? Is that built into our platform today? Do we really promote that? Is that a huge value prop? Building the product with go-to-market in mind. Well, that's when the PLG motion and selling becomes fun. Because then when you get on the call with these people, you generally have to answer a couple of, we already talked about product questions, like almost supporty type questions. But then the rest of the call, and this is my experience at Front as well, I keep referencing that, is, is really you become a consultant to help build a business case. It's no longer I need to sell you on this. It's no longer let me share my screen and demo all of this. It's let me help you with a couple of like quirky product questions you have. And then let's figure out how we can get this across the line. How can we multi-thread? How can we get others involved? Let's help build the business case together. So gets back to what sales reps are excited about, what we do very, very well. Um, and so when this does work well, it is a home run for sales reps because the hardest part of our job and the most important part of our job is discovery. But if the product does most of that for you and you've already sort of vetted out or have high quality leads who have gone on the product and love it, now I'm just a consultant help, trying to help you build the best business case you can and turning you into an awesome champion. And what's cool about that is if you play that out even one step further, let's say the average company has sort of five common jobs to be done, reasons why folks sign up. Eventually what you learn is that there's two 
who correlate to the sales team, uh, you know, the sales enhanced experience. And so when they come in and they have that goal, you can route them right to sales. You can predict pipeline based on their average close rates. You can go run acquisition campaigns to get more of your highest quality users coming in. And all of a sudden you can use that product data to acquire other good quality users that are likely to turn into customers. And it creates this like really cool loop uh, using your user onboarding and product data as like the core driver. And that to me is where it gets really fun. I'm so happy you said loop and not flywheel. I just can't hear that word one more time. I came from HubSpot, man, but they came up with that after I left. Marketers just love to rebrand shit, right? It's like they just put another name on this thing that everyone kind of knows, and then they can market it all over again. Yeah. I think in the past episode, I said flywheel, and I just saw Ben's like Irish rolls. I'm like, never again. Never saying again. I almost logged off. I literally almost logged off. One thing I was going to say off of, you know, you have this, not flywheel, but this um, circle effect, we'll call it. Feedback loop. Exactly. Rebranding again. Um, You also get data faster about who isn't in your icp or who's a good fit like in a sales-led model you have to kind of wait till churn which hurts it also isn't good business like it takes a while to understand it i guess sales can sort of see sometimes who's a good fit and not but it's hard to see if they're a good fit as users or if there's sticky adoption until they buy they go the whole cycle and then we get to a year later renewal one of the benefits of plg is that you'll probably learn much faster who are those best fits who is your icp and then hopefully you're not wasting your sales team time as much with people who they probably shouldn't have been talking with to begin with. Yeah, that's true. I've been keeping a card in my hand this whole time and I really, really want to play it around why PLG isn't always awesome though. Is this, this feels like a good time to bring it up. For PLG companies, you are eliminating the amazing deal that comes in and says, hey, I'm the decision maker. Hey, I have budget. We needed this yesterday. I'm ready to get started and sign a contract. Because every single person who comes inbound for PLG is like, you can't escape it. They're going to have a free trial. These are things that oftentimes are part of the sales playbook today. But Natalie knows some of our best deals, our most exciting deals on the sales team are deals that come in. They want to do a demo. They want to do an integration scoping call. And then they're ready to sign a contract. Well, guess what? We just eliminated a two-week paid pilot, a two-week free trial that is... Like salespeople hate that. Let's like, just to be totally honest, like sales reps, if we can cut out trials, if we can cut out pilots, that's better for us. We like it better, more transactional. Um, so the, I think another issue with PLG, Natalie, is yes, it, it helps vet out some of those window shoppers or some of those bad fits. It also ensures that your deal cycles are going to be longer and slower. So there is a trade-off from that perspective from the sales side. When I first learned about this world, I was a little anti-sales, truthfully. Like I had a little bit of time where I went through that period because I was like, what do I need sales for? We can convert these folks just using the product. What I learned is that that's wrong, right? But I thought it was right for a little while and it's part of growing, right? You think you know the answer and eventually you learn you don't know that much. But what I have learned is this is why I think most companies have balanced the hybrid model, allowing users to choose like, hey, for sure. If you want to sign up and just talk to somebody right off the jump, I think that's why it's nice to have two CTAs, right? It's like, hey, go ahead and sign up now. Or if you want to raise your hand and chat with our team, here's how you can go there too. And so I view the modern, when I think about product-led growth, I don't think about it as no sales. I just view it as a hybrid motion. And that to me is my definition of product-led growth. It's it's not having just one CTA, but it's having two to balance these two avenues. Because I totally agree. Otherwise, that's just being anti-user because some users need to chat with someone and just want to jump on the phone and just prefer to buy in a way that's different than other folks. And that's what, that's great. You know, we should enable that. And to piggyback off of that, Andrew, for anybody who's interested in getting into tech sales, if I could tell anybody, I I would never join a company that didn't offer both. Like moving forward in my career, I would 
probably probably never join a company that didn't offer both. Um, and what I mean by that is if you don't offer a free trial or like are completely stingy against it, like we don't have a free trial on our website today, but like generally speaking, we will offer a pilot, a demo build. We have some options. Then what you're going to hear oftentimes when prospects get on calls, like once in a while, you're going to have that prospect who's really annoyed with you. Like, Hey Ben, how's your day going? Kind of annoyed after to be on this call. All I want to do is see the product. Let me guess. You're going to ask me 15 minutes of discovery before I can actually get into it. And then blah, blah, blah. And on the flip side, if you're exclusively a PLG company, Andrew, you're going to run into exactly what you highlighted as well, where you're going to get some of those users who write it and say, I just need to talk to somebody. So uh, I think obviously our future is going where companies are, are going to offer exposure to both. And this is honestly a lot of the pain points we hear from companies who come to us and are interested in interactive demos. A lot of companies, a free trial really isn't an option. Security industry is a perfect example of this. We work with a ton of uh, security companies where a free trial really isn't a great option, but they do want to offer some level of product exposure. Why do they want to offer that? Because it's an extremely competitive market. There's 10 million vendors and they're probably getting prospects every other day that say, hey, Andrew, I'm interested in your security company, but like, my goodness, can I see it at all? Like there's no videos, there's nothing. Um, Sales reps, if you want to work in an environment where you can basically offer anything the prospects want, go to a company that offers both. I think one thing that's interesting to ask is what stage is right to add in a free trial? Because Ben, as you touched on right now, we don't have it on the website. We have it in our sales cycle. We have different options, but transparently, like we have a limited team. We want to make our product amazing. And if we're dedicating engineering resources towards the PLG experience, Yes, hopefully what they're doing is also helping the end users, but that is going to take away from feature development, new product gas, just making the core product maybe better. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sure this is a question you get all the time, Andrew, of like, when does it make sense if you're sales-led to implement PLG? This was the number one question I was excited to ask, Andrew. I don't have the answer, but here's how I think about it. Two times, either from the very beginning when you're first building, and you know that you want to create a business with that go-to-market model, that's really the time, right? Because any time that's later than that is the challenge that you just described, Natalie. It's we got to pull engineers off. Is it worth, is it worth delaying, increasing the core value of the tool to build a go-to-market tool, basically? And that's a hard trade-off to make. So I think it's at the building time. Um, and for context, uh, there's a much more smart, famous growth lead out there, Adam Fishman, who gave a talk about this, who talks about the three stages of growth. He talks about the building stage going zero to one, making a bunch of stuff, the optimization stage where you take a bunch of stuff and, and make it better and experiment and iterate. And then the innovation stage where you get to the point where your existing stuff is a lot of effort to get a small incremental win and you've got to layer on new things. So I think your two options are on either end of that spectrum, either from the, from the jump when you're building or later when you hit the point of like diminishing returns and you need to innovate on the model. And so you're probably in that middle period right now where unless you really want it from a strategy perspective, that's the trade-off that you'll have to make on the resource side. I love that framework because I think it also helps explain just going all the way back to the beginning of why sometimes PLG is frustrating because if you do roll it out the wrong time, if it is, if engineering doesn't have the proper time to dedicate to it, so you just kind of half-heartedly throw out a free trial, it's probably not going to be a good experience for anyone. So really being strategic about it, I think could make all the difference for sales teams. Totally, because you can do it just to do it. It's not going to work. And then you're not going to make it better because it's not working. And then everyone's going to go, see, it didn't work. We knew it wasn't going to work. It doesn't work here. Um, and that just comes down to really a resource and a planning challenge.
no, I think especially, I mean, Ben can talk about this, but like if sales wasn't gung ho about it in the first place, the second something isn't working the way they want it, they'll, they'll find a reason to shut it down. Okay. So we talked a lot about, like I said, scary, some good outcomes, maybe how to think about approaching PLG somehow we're already at like past 40 minutes, but, um, want to open up the floor for any final thoughts or tips about implementing PLG or how to make, maybe how to make the sales team a little less scared if you are, if there are teams out there implementing it. I can take this one. And then I'd love your take, Ben. Um, the way I often describe this to sales teams is that if we do this well, you get to sell from the product. And so HubSpot is a great example of this. If you're in HubSpot and you're on a free plan, or even if you're on a paid plan and you want to like check out some of their more advanced functionality, to unlock it, you might want to talk to someone to like learn and to get more information. Maybe you want to get a demo, whatever. And if you're inside of the tool, there's buttons from in the tool that say, hey, this is a feature that's only available on these plans. Click this button and a schedule pops up with Ben's face on it or whoever's face on it with times that day where I can book time with a person who can give me a demo. And that's a totally different experience than somebody who's filling out a form. And then someone from Ben's team needs to send them an email with a calendar link and a schedule and they might not ship. It's a totally different thing. And so it opens up a much more direct line to the customer. And that's good for customers. That's good for sales teams. Like that's good for everybody. And so that's like a, a really tangible example that I always share with folks that I think helps them to understand what this could look like at scale. My advice would just be piggybacking off of Andrew's really good point that he just mentioned about the, the three pillars of growth. If you want to have success with PLG, do it at the right time. And all of this, as Andrew stated at the beginning of the call, which is one of my favorite takeaways, because I always harp on this as well, is everything is nuanced. Stay away from anybody who tells you there's only one right way to do things. Figure it out for your company specifically. Do it at the right time. Don't feel peer pressure. Everything is nuanced. You know your product and your company better than we do. That's my takeaway for everything that we say here. So the only thing I had is basically a summary of also what we've talked about, but I think it's really important to know that it's, it's not like the same, it's not the same skill set, like you said a million times, Ben, for sales or marketing. Like it is, you're going to have to learn new skill set and new mindset. Because I've, with my past company, when we were PLG and tried to take traditional sellers and force them to talk to free trialers, it was a very, very good conflict. Um, I would, a lot of, a lot of uh, angry on both sides, on both the free trialer and the seller. So I'd say just keep in mind that you can't, you have to give them new playbooks, new resources, sales and marketing. Like you got to kind of train them on PLG. You can't just say, okay, we're doing this now. Learn it or don't. Yeah. So that's essentially all around PLG. Um, this was super helpful as, as we talked about, like something that we've Ben and I have talked about many times internally. Love the framework, Andrew. Gonna, gonna bring that up. And thanks everyone for listening. I'm sure plenty of you are going through PLG woes. So if you have questions, feel free to reach out.